0: The one to join you, come sit. Yeah. Need, the. Uh, just yeah, okay. Episode: A young girl went down to draw water and she was raped. If most of the people living in that town are fit that their daughters and widows can marry a koyen because they're all like kosher. Like then they're Jewish. They're not bastards. They're not, they can marry a kohen. Then this girl will also be married. Because you follow the majority. Yes, she was raped by someone in that town. We don't know who. But we know we follow the majority. Since the majority of the people, she was intimate with someone who's kosher. Doesn't disqualify her. From marrying a kohen, who would disqualify her from marrying a kohen? she had relations with a non-Jew, even one, she can never marry a kohen. she had a relationship with a bamzer, or, or you know, or, or a Kholo. but we follow the majority. opinion Rabbi Yechon bin Nuri following? We learned in the previous Mishnah two Mishnahs an argument between Rabbi Gamliel, and i will be sure can i be sure can if holds that even if the majority of the people are not kosher we believe her if she says that the one i was intimate with is so and so is a kayan is a kosher we believe her she can marry a kayan and even a daughter can marry a kayan but if Rabbi Yeshua if according to Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says we don't believe her, even though she says with certainty that this is the individual I was intimate with, and uh, and the husband says I don't know, maybe you were, maybe you weren't, I don't know. Who says? Maybe it was someone that's not kosher. And so even if the majority of the town are kosher, we don't follow the majority. So who would, here? We a third opinion, Rabbi Yechonu Nuri who says we follow only in the case of a majority, of the majority of the people in town. The pool, the possibility of those who raped her, are, are, are kosher then. She's kosher. I'm Malay I said to Rav, Rav uh, Nachman answered to Rav, this is what Rav said. We continue on the top of page 15a. my this incident in the Mishnah happened among the wagons of Tipuri. And the caravans came from outside the city visited. It's like the the truck driver stop. <laughs> he was raped by a trucker who was on the road. You know, it was caravans. So therefore. So it's possible that one of the visitors raped the girl. Maybe it was local, maybe not. So that turned out to be Nudy saying as the majority of the city and the majority of the visitors are, are, are a fit lineage, then she can marry Akunas. So this is the opinion of Rabbi Yeshua. Because Rabbi Yeshua says we don't believe her, but if you have two majorities, the majority of the locals and the majority of those on the road who are visiting or coming into the city, the caravans are all kosher, in that case, even Rabbi Yeshua says that, we, that, that she's called, she can marry a kohen. She's, she's called her status. Yes, Ravami, like Ravami, the Ravami said, we should Shad in the Vedas that this uh, rule in the Mishnah applies when there was a group of people fit for lineage who were passing through. So even the passive, even those who passed through, were also kosher. Not only the local local majority. Majority is working in your favor. Then even Rabbi Yeshua says, yes. like Rabbi Yane said said, If she was intimate with someone who came in with a wagon, she's fit to marry into the Kun. You mean she, could have she was intimate on the wagons? What does that How does that change her status? It means when the wagons show up in town, when you have all these visitors coming to the marketplace or whatever, then she's allowed, her status is, she's allowed to marry a koyin. But if we know that someone living in Tsipoidi came and was intimate with a woman, in other words, her attacker who raped her was not a visitor, a blood stuckey. then the child is a stuckey we don't know. We don't know if he's fit for lineage or not. Then if we know for certain that it was someone in town who raped her, so then you only have one majority. You don't follow one majority. It's only when you have two majority. I don't know if it's a local person who raped her. I don't know if it's a visitor who raped her, but either way... Most of them are kosher. Most of them are from kosher lineage Even if she was intimate with this individual, she still remains, her status still remains kosher. She can marry a Kohen. Like this ruling, when the Abdimim said in the name of Rav HaNinah, others say, Zidi said in the name of in the We follow the majority of the city, but we don't follow the majority of a visiting group. What do you mean? your liars. Makes no sense. What's the logic? It would seem just the opposite. Why? Because the people of the group are moving. They're not not residents. The people in the city are stationary. So if anything, we should follow... A majority of the visitors, not a majority of the city. Because we know that when, you, when do you follow the majority? You only follow the majority if it's not set, if it's not established. If it's set, for example, the classical example, we already learned this earlier. If you have nine stores, and you have well, nine kosher butchers, and one, non-kosher. and one non-kosher, and you find a piece of meat on the, on the unidentified, unlabeled meat in the street, I don't know, did it come from a kosher butcher? So we say we follow we say the majority. Kosher, yeah. But what if you walk into a store, and I don't know which store I walked into, that I walk into the kosher butcher shop, or the nine, the nine who are kosher, or the one that's not kosher? You don't follow the majority. Because something that's set, you don't follow the majority. So on the contrary, if you're going to follow the majority, it makes more sense. If she was raped by someone who doesn't live here, was traveling then you follow the majority. The majority of the travelers are kosher, their lineage is kosher, and even if she was intimate with them, she still remains kosher, she can marry a kohen. Co- versus if someone, a local person, who's set, he's local, then you should not follow the majority. Here he said the exact opposite. If it was someone local or raped her, then, and the majority are kosher lineage, then she's fine for a kohen. But if she was raped by a traveler, not a local resident, and then you follow the majority. It makes no sense. Ella rather. What he's saying is that we follow the majority of the city. If the majority of the city is kosher lineage, then we follow the majority. It's not enough that a majority of the people living in the city, of the males living in the city of kosher lineage, in addition, you have to have another majority. That even the visiting group, the majority yes. of the visiting group are also kosher. But you can't just follow a single majority. And you can't follow also just a single majority of those who are visiting. It's only when we don't know who raped them. We don't know if it was someone for a traveler or it was a time of wagons or it was a visitor. Then you follow both majorities, two majorities. And even Rabbi Yeshua says that she's kosher to marry a queen. my time, what's the reason that we don't follow a majority? Why do you need two majorities? Throughout the Torah you always follow one majority. When do you, since when do you need two majorities? Oh, they need an extra, oh, so he says, need says, because, extra... It was a decree. The rabbis made a decree that you should not rely on the majority of a visiting, gru- visiting group because if you're going to rely on the majority of a visiting group you're going to rely on the majority of a city. But a city you can't follow the majority because they're at set. They're all set. They live there. Yeah. So when they're set then you can't follow a majority. They're in their place. But even though when you know that she was raped by a visitor not a local I just don't know who but a visitor I don't know what its status is I just know she was raped by a visitor I don't know who, who it is yeah. and, but, and the majority of those visiting of kosher lineage really biblically I should follow the majority because it's not set but nevertheless, the rabbis made a decree that if you can allow the follow majority in that case, he may come to follow the majority in the case when you know that she was raped by a local inhabitant, and then you can't follow the majority because you he's set, he's local. Really, yeah. Even the majority of the city, there should be a difference. If he left his home and went to her, called the river when do you say it's set? What's the example we, we discussed? The example is, if, she walk, if you walk into the butcher shop, and I'm not sure which butcher shop I walked into, the one butcher shop that's not kosher, the nine that are, that are kosher, you say you don't follow the majority, because you're in the butcher shop, you're, it's set. But if the meat was taken out of the butcher shop, and you find it in the street, it was unlabeled, I don't know if it came from the kosher, then you follow the majority. So even if you're in the same city, what difference does it make? If he left his home, and he raped her outside of his home, so then he's then we do follow the majority since the majority in the city, the local inhabitants have kosher lineage. That even in the city we should follow the majority. So why do you need two majorities and why are you making a decree one one for the other? The so mother says, you ride, the cause She went to him. Right. She went to visit to make a nice visit, and he he raped her in his house. Have a Then it's set. Then you don't follow the majority. Right. And, 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 and therefore, they made a decree that even if, you, if she was raped by someone who was a visitor, we know for certain it wasn't a local inhabitant. It was a stranger, a visitor, In the time when they have all these visitors. So even though the majority of the visitors have kosher lineage, we, we say we don't follow the majority because of the decree. What if she's going to go into someone's house and he's, and he's going to rape her? Her boss is going to rape her or whatever? And then there's no majority. Then you can't follow him. Even if there's one person in town who's not of kosher lineage, right. she's disqualified from marrying a... Uh, wait a minute. today, Do you need a double majority? Two majorities? There should be a majority of the visitors and a majority of the locals who are kosher. We learn the This is the classical example. Nine butcher shops that sell kosher meat. And one, of them, and one butcher shop in town, one out of ten, sells not kosher meat. And he bought from one of them, and he He does not know which one he purchased from. Then it's prohibited, because he walked into a butcher shop, he bought meat, he just doesn't know which one he bought meat from. There you don't follow the majority, because it's set. But if he finds it in the street, outside, the, outside of the store, he finds meat that's unlabeled, he doesn't know if it came from the kosher. The nine kosher, butcher is the one not kosher. So we see, we do rely on one single majority. You don't need two majorities. If you're going to want to say that the price is talking about that the gates of this city, the gates are not closed, or the country are not locked. So people. So that a majority of the kosher meat maybe came in from the outside world. Because even the outside world is also kosher, a majority of kosher meats. Not only in town you have nine kosher butcher shops, but the whole land is kosher. The suburbs of Jerusalem. Yeah, the majority... The majority of the of the yeah. of of the itinerant merchants also sell yeah. kosher the meat. Judea. So you have two majorities. Either it came from the travelers who are selling kosher meat, <laughs> kosher shish kebab or whatever, <laughs> or it came from from local. But you, you can't That's say that. Abzaida said, no, no, it's not so. Even if the country, even if the gates of the city are locked, and no visiting merchants, so there's only one majority, nevertheless, we follow the majority says so you're right, but in our Mishnah, uh, we made a higher standard. When it comes to genealogy, to be able to marry a Kohen, here we have a higher standard. Regularly, you can follow even one majority. But here, we made a higher standard. I don't make over the, the question is over there, we don't make a decree. When it comes to the meat, you don't, well, you don't say, why don't you make a decree? If you're going to allow to eat the meat when it's, uh, that's found, maybe you're going to come to eat meat that you bought in the store. We don't make such a decree. One case, it's prohibited. The other case, it's allowed. So here too, why should you make a decree? So He says, because when it comes to genealogy, we have to elevate, elevate it to a higher level. You have to be certain, because you're dealing with the marriage, you're dealing with something that's eternal, the children... You have, to know, you have to know what the status is. Before a rabbi marries someone, you have to know 100% that the person is kosher and the marriage is kosher. You can't play games. When it comes to marriage, it's a very serious thing. If you see an orthodox rabbi's signature on a ksuva if he's an orthodox rabbi worthy of his, uh, of his name, you can take it to the bank, because he would never put his name down unless he's a thousand percent sure that he's kosher and she's kosher and the marriage is kosher. I mean, no longer her. Where does have Zeta derive this? How does he know this? So when it comes to lineage, yeah. you need to... You need... Um, no, one second, one second, I'm sorry. Kufa... Let's go to the text itself. That whenever something is stationary and in place, then it's considered like 50-50. The doubt, it's a doubt. We don't know. And here you can't follow the majority. Whether it leads to a leniency or whether it leads to a stringency. Okay, stringency we understand, right? Like the meat. Even if there are nine kosher butcher shops and one non-kosher, and he buys it from one of them, he doesn't remember which one he bought. He has early uh, early halts. Uh, uh, he doesn't remember which one he bought. He's not allowed to eat from it. What's a But the idea is, in other words, this principle is biblical. If if that the principle that that something is set, if something is set. Um, then, then, then you can be lenient. You can always follow the leniency. It's like 50-50. It's not rabbinic. It's not, a, it's not the rabbis Rabbis made a stringency and the rabbis said that biblically you can always follow the majority under all circumstances, even if something is set. The the, the, but the rabbis say that if it's said, you should be strict. That it's not just a, a rabbinic stringency. It's a, it's a halacha. It's a biblical halacha. It's so amazing. we don't follow the majority, period. You don't follow the majority if it's set. If it's set, then it's always a 50. We consider it a 50 50. It's a doubt. Right. And it's this is balanced. biblical. This balanced. is biblical. No, Even no, if it no, leads no, to a place, lenience. Thing. Where does know this from? if you can so he asks if you're going to say from this law that we just learned, if nine kosher butcher shops and one non-kosher, and he buys from one of them, he doesn't know which one, that you're in doubt, you're not allowed because they're all set. He walked into a store. But if he finds it on the outside, then we follow the majority. There, it's, it's, it's a khumra, Maybe it's only rabbinic. And the rabbis say you should be stringent. Really, biblically, you always follow the majority, even in that case. And the meat would be kosher. But the rabbis say be strict. Ella, where do we know this from? See, so couldn't have learned it from that halacha. Ella, rather, he knows it. The case, the b'risa that says that if there were nine dead frogs in a group and one dead sheret among them, frogs don't impart impurity. Right? Little, little creatures like that don't impart impurity except with the eight that the Torah lists. Shratzen. And there was one sheret. It was nine frogs. Even if they're dead, their carcass doesn't impart an impurity. You touch it, it doesn't contaminate you. But there was one shed. It's one of the eight amongst them. And he touched one of them. He doesn't know that he touched the frog, that he touched the shed. It's these rodents, the mouse, or the, the, the rat, whatever, or the others, the lizard, the dead mouse, or the dead lizard, he's tummy. We're in doubt, you're tummy. So, with the how do I know it's biblical? Maybe biblically we follow the majority even in such a case. He touched them, it's set, they're all in place. Biblically, I would follow the majority. The majority of frogs, so probably he touched the frog. But we say he's Tameh because it's a rabbinic stringency. So, where did Rab Zedek get this from? El rather, the source of Rab Zedek's ruling is Maitisha Shirotz, and the country. There were nine Shirotz and one of them. And there was one frog amongst them and he touched one of them and he doesn't know which one he touched. So the b'raise says, if he's in the private domain, whenever you end out, it's like in doubt, we don't know. We don't know which one he touched. Is he impure or is he not impure? So what's the rule when it comes to impurity? It depends where it is. If it's in a private domain, we learn from Saita, in doubt you have to be strict just like we say we're strict with her she was secluded maybe she committed adultery and she's forbidden to her husband so to over here if it was in the private domain then we, then we say that, 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 that you're impure but if it's in the public domain in the public domain you're always lenient and you say that it's allowed that, that, that she's pure so what do we see from here that you're lenient right? that even though the majority is saying you don't follow the majority you don't follow the majority. The majority tells me that she touched the Shedetz. There were nine Shratzim, nine dead rodents. So we see over there that even in a case of leniency, you don't say you follow the majority. If you're would follow, if you saying biblically you always follow the majority, even if it's said, then you should say he's impure. It doesn't matter if it's in a private place or not in a private place. Any doubt. You follow the majority. Here we're saying it's a doubt. The doubt means it's 50-50. So it depends. If it's in a private domain, then you're strict, then you say impure. If it's a public domain, you're impure. That means that we say that something is set, it's considered a doubt. That sits on top of the That the, the, if it's set, it's considered a doubt, is even leniency, even if it's a means of leniency. It's no longer a majority. It's a 50-50% doubt. And therefore, if it's in a uh, public domain, it's pure. That's the source for Rabzadeh's ruling. Where, where do you learn this from? Where it, how do you learn this from in the Torah? Where does the Torah teach you this? That something that's said is considered like 50-50. You don't follow the majority, even if it's 9 to 1. So he says, It says in the Pasuk. It says, It says in the Torah, Deuteronomy, that if a person hates someone, and he ambushes them, and he, he strikes him and he dies. So why does it say he ambushes him? It should have said, come, love, love. someone someone kills someone. Okay. So it comes to so teach they're us, they're the murderer is only liable. Liable only if he intends to kill a specific person. But if he intended to kill one person, he ended up killing another person, he's not liable. That's the opinion of Rav Shimon. Rabbanon and the rabbis to give Rab Shimon. Right. They say even if you intend to kill one person and you end up killing another person, you're still liable for murder. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbanon, yeah. Rabbi so stated, stated in, the, in the Academy of Prat lezedek evan legoi, the verse comes to exclude from capital punishment if someone throws a stone into a group of people. And the group was consisted of Jews and non-Jews, and he kills a Jew. So we're saying that throwing the stone is not considered an act of murdering a Jew because it could have hit a non-Jew. Kill the Canaanite and non-Jew, you would not be executed by Jewish court. You're not allowed to, but it's, but the, you wouldn't be executed. So he says. That even, even though he could have killed, even if he killed a Jew, he's exempt from capital punishment. But if there were two Jews standing together and he intended to kill one and kill the other, the rabbis say he is liable. So therefore... So, hechidami, what are we talking about here? The mother tries to clarify what Rabbiane said, how he explained the verse according to the rabbis. If he's talking about there are nine non-Jews, nine Canaanites, and one Jew, but typically, follow the majority. Of course he's exempt. Probably he killed a non-Jew. Even if it's palga, palga, let's say five and five. Half Jews and half non-Jews. Safek nefashas l'hakel. Whenever there's a doubt, in the case involving capital punishment, you have to rule leniently. It says you have to save the person, try to be lenient and try to save him from a capital punishment, from losing his life. Either way, if it's a majority of non-Jews and they follow the majority, I don't need a verse to teach me that he's exempt. And he's not liable for capital, capital. he doesn't get li- capital punishment. If it's 50-50, also not. Okay. So we need this. There's nine Jews and one canine, one non-Jew. And That's what the, I need the Pasuk to teach me. And even though the majority tells me surely you're a Jew. And therefore he should be liable, he should be executed, it's a capital crime. So the Pasik is teaching me, no, when it's set, when they're both standing in place, you don't follow the majority. Nine Jews, one non-Jew, it's like a 50-50, it's an equal doubt. When equal doubt, the Torah is telling me, you're lenient, and therefore you can't put the Jew, to, you can't punish him with a capital, capital punishment. So this is the source that we learned. That when something is set, you don't follow the majority. And we use that principle leniently. Not just to or be strict, but even to be lean. <speaking in Spanish> it, Madagimada says, may we learn, Ravchi barashi, barashi said in the name of rab Alokhik follows Rabbi now Mishnah, who says in the name Rabi Echen Benuri, that a girl who was raped is fit for Kohuna, when the majority of the town people are, are fit lineage that action was a special a special ruling for that moment he relied on the one single majority he did not follow the rabbi the rabbi said you need two majorities so that was a special ruling it was a special circumstances at that time that they had to, they had to be lenient that was biblically. If you follow one majority, but yeah. the rabbi said no. You need two majorities. But in that case, in the, those circumstances was special circumstances. Um, therefore, he followed the biblical. He, he followed the biblical law that that, that she's allowed to marry a kohen. Rabbi We learned is it possible that you don't need two majorities? But in we learned in the Mishnah, we learned in the Mishnah in a town that was inhabited by Jews and non-Jews. We continue on side B, 15B. They found an abandoned child. We don't know. Is it a Jew? A baby was abandoned. It happens, unfortunately. Yeah. Baby is abandoned. We don't know who the parents are. Is this a Jew or a non-Jew? So we follow the majority. If the majority of the inhabitants idolaters, then we treat them as a non-Jew. If the majority of the people in town, if it's a Jewish town, majority are Jewish, then we follow the majority. We say this baby is a Jew. If it's fifty-fifty, Israel, then we say we say that the child is a Jew. But <laughs> Rav and Nav explained, the mission is only discussing whether the mitzvah of sustaining. That we have an obligation to sustain. This obligation it says, your brother should live with you. We have an obligation to take care of our own brothers, family. So it's an obligation that applies to Jews. So we treat him as a Jew that we're obligated to provide for him, to take care of him, even if it's 50-50. But regarding marriage, to say that he's a Jew, 100% Jewish and he can marry a Jewish girl or she can marry a Jewish guy, no. That we can't follow. Or Shmuel says, We treat him as a Jew, even... To clear if, if a bunch of rubble yeah. fell so upon him on Shabbos, he allowed to desecrate the Shabbos to save his life. Slowly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what do we see? We see that a majority is not enough to be fit for lineage. You don't follow one majority for lineage. So, how can Rav himself said he rules according to Rabbi Yechon now Mishnah that he allowed the lady to marry a koyan based on one on a simple majority? Sikh mother says Rabbi Yechon who challenged. Rav forgot what Rabbi Yechon said in the name of Rav. We're talking about there was a case where it was two majority. There was also wagons from Tzipaydi. There was a whole intrusion of visitors. And the majority of the town, the locals, and the majority of the visitors were of kosher lineage. That's why Rabbi <inaudible> Eich says it's kosher. But one majority, you don't rely when it comes to lineage. When it comes to lineage, we're strict. says... <inaudible> that it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, under those circumstances, right, it was only a one-time deal that Avraham Nuri allowed us to follow the single majority, follow the biblical and not the rabbinical, right? then, then how can Rav say that you're not allowed to follow the majority and you can't allow this child, this abandoned child, to marry a Jew? If you're going to say that it was, it was an exceptional case, and we said that that incident had two majorities, so what are you saying? Right now that really one majority is enough, even rabbinically. <laughs> there was an exceptional case that Rabbi required two majorities. That means regularly, if it's not an exceptional case, you follow one majority. So how can it have said, but the baby, we don't allow, even if the majority of the town people are Jewish, we don't allow the baby, when he grows up, to marry because he can't rely on the majority. What you said that we do. So, Kashi Ha, so the answers, man, the It's two different. Whoever learns this, whoever learns that it was a circumstantial, it was an exceptional case, he's, he holds that it wasn't, there was no... You don't need two majorities. It wasn't the case of two majorities. Only one majority, and really, two, one. You don't follow one majority, like Rab says. You can't even the baby. We don't allow the baby to marry a Jew. We have to feed him and take care of him. That sense we follow the majority, because biblically you follow the majority when it comes to marriage lineage. There you know, we have a higher standard, and also over here generally we don't. Follow, rabbinically we don't follow a single majority. And really rabbinically she would not be allowed to marry a coin, even though biblically she would. Yeah. But, but but the Ben <laughs> Zuri in that case was lenient for whatever he had he had his reasons, it was exceptional circumstances. Every rule has an exception, that was one of the exceptions. But according to the so according to the other opinion, it says that it was a case of a case of there were two majorities. There was a time when all the wagons came and all the visitors came it was the marketplace. And the reason Rabbi Yechen and Benuri, that he holds the reason for Rabbi Yechen and the Menuri, not because of an exceptional case, because there were two majorities to be lenient. The majority of the townspeople, the locals were kosher lineage, and the majority of the visitors were kosher lineage. So you have two majorities and therefore, so it's two different interpretations of what happened there. You can't ask one or the other. It's, it's, uh, you know, according to one, Rabbi Yechen and Menuri was following the halacha. There was nothing exceptional. Or into the other. No, it was an exceptional case. He was lenient. Really, you should be strict. You don't follow a majority when it comes to leniency. And he happened to be lenient because of special uh, circumstances. So Kufa, uh, now he examines uh, the text itself. by Tinnik The mission says, if someone found an abandoned child in the city, we don't know if it's Jewish or not. If you follow the majority, if the majority of the inhabitants of the town are are non Jewish, then we, we assume the child is non Jewish. And believe Israel is the majority of the time, Israel, Then we, we uh, assume that the child is Yisrael. Half and half, Yisrael. We treat him as a Jew. Yisrael says that this is only regarding taking care of him, taking responsibility to sustain him. We treat him like a brother, like he's Jewish. For the welfare, for the UGA, for this, but to marry, like but the marriage not. when even we follow the majority. the Shmuel say this? When it comes to saving a life, we don't follow the majority. Even even if it doesn't follow the majority, we have to save a life. Even if it's a small possibility. That a person is in danger is Jewish. If you're gonna follow the majority, say he's not Jewish, so you shouldn't desecrate Shabbos. No. When it comes to saving a life, it, just like even if there's a doubt that you can save a life, you have to do everything in your power to save a life. So even if there's a slight possibility that this individual is Jewish, you have to desecrate Shabbos to save his life. Where do we know this from? Because it says V'chai behem. You should you should make you should live. You have, to do, you have to make sure that mitzvahs lead to life. So even if there's a slight possibility, so how can Shmuel say that only if the majority are Jewish, then you have to desecrate Shabbos. Or if it's half and half, then you have to desecrate. But if it's majority are non-Jews, then you don't, you're not allowed to desecrate Shabbos. Save his life said what he said. He's talking about the beginning. Beginning of the Mishnah. Even though we say he's a non-Jew. He's a non-Jew regarding everything else to sustain him, to take responsibility for him. We follow the majority. But the exception is, if it's a question of life and death, even if there's a slight chance that he's Jewish, you have to do everything in your power. desperate job is to save a life. So what does it mean then? You follow the majority. That if he's, you assume the baby is non-Jewish, it means you're allowed to feed him nevelis. You're allowed to feed him non-kosher food. You treat him like an idolater. That he, yeah, he doesn't have to eat kosher. You can feed him, You can feed him non-kosher food. According to this interpretation, Shmuel is addressing the beginning of the mission. How about the end of the mission? He says, if the majority of Jews, these are Jews, the Mayhil Cheser, what's he referring to? If he lost property, you have to return it to him. Consider him like family. Treat him like a brother, like a member of the tribe, and you have to return to him. This is a special obligation. We're talking about in a country, in a law, where it's finders keeper. So you can keep it. It's only a Jew has a special obligation to return the lost object, even if the local law says you don't have to, because we have to treat each other. just like we don't charge each other interest, because we have to treat each other like a brother and a sister. So he says, if a majority of the Jews are Jews, then we have to treat the baby like a Jew, and we have to return his lost property. But why doesn't he say, like Rav said? Why doesn't the say, like Rav, that you have to support him, you have to take care of him? But he's saying, even a bigger khidish that it's not one thing you have to support him and take care of him, to make sure he lives, but it's another thing. He's holding money, a person is holding money, and you force him to give up the money and return the lost object. You can say when it comes to money, you can tell the person, prove that you're Jewish. Then we don't take it back. That's right. If you don't, you can't prove you're Jewish. I'm keeping the money. According the to proof the is on you. The onus is on you. When you it you. You. When comes to money, I'm mitzvah v'chaveid. Olveray. So there, you're saying no. You have to treat him like a Jew, and you have to return the lost object. The guy who brought witnesses who said it was stolen, he's not gonna have to. He's only gonna. Av says you don't have to. Av says you have to take care of him, but you don't have to return a lost object. Shmuel says you do have to return the lost object because Shmuel holds. But even though Shmuel holds when it comes to money, you don't follow the majority. A mitzvah actually saying a and in this case, you do have to. You do have to. You you assume that he's Jewish. You follow the majority, and once you establish that he's Jewish, then you're obligated why? because in this case the moment he found it you you, you're not, you can't say well I'm holding it, that means it's mine no, you found the lost object so the moment you find it, the question is who lost it? if we follow the majority and he's a Jew, we establish he's Jewish, then it's not yours you only take it to do the mitzvah to return it when he says if it's the town the inhabitants are 50-50 Jewish, on my help, what's the law referred to? Okay. refers to the laws of damages. That it says if, you gore, if your axe gores, if the axe of a Jew gores, the axe of an adulter, the Jew is exempt. But if an axe of an idolater idolat idolat gores an idolat the axe of a Jew, the idolater has to pay full damages, even if it was a tam. <inaudible> Versus if a Jew's axe ax ax, gores another Jew's axe, there it depends so if it's the, the first three times and he pays half of the damage, and afterwards now, he becomes a muid and then he's,
1: he's
0: the he pays the full damage. Yeah. Since it's a doubt. So he says if it's half and half, then we consider he's Jewish regarding these laws. Non Jews, we follow when it comes to non Jews, we follow their laws. Yeah. <laughs> their laws state if their acts go or so on, they're not obligated, they're, ob- they're not obligated, <laughs> they're not liable for the, you're not responsible for your animal, they don't hold, and their civil laws and the animals and the owner is not responsible. So why should the Jew pay? We follow your laws. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a Jew, we elevate because we're brothers, we have to, we have to a higher standard. Uh, and he, you know, he what are we talking about? If we're talking about our axe, Gore is one of the babies who grows up, his axe, Gore, the child's axe. Lay malay, the owner of the axe can say. The owner of the axe that did the damage. I said, I. bring up proof that you're Jewish and I'll, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll give you money. Because I'm All of but I have proof to it. Why should I pay? We're talking about a case with the child acts. Gordon acts of ours. So he says, Palgam fifty percent. He has to pay because if he's Jewish, he has to pay fifty percent. the other half. Then, if he's a tam, the first three times, so he has to pay half." Mm-hmm. And the other half, we can say to the claimant, you prove, I said, that I'm not Jewish. <laughs> it works both ways. Prove that I'm not Jewish. Because a non-Jewish, of course, has to pay the full damage. Prove that I'm not Jewish. And and that I, that I only have, that I have to pay you the full. If you can't prove it, maybe I'm Jewish and I only have to pay half. And that's why you only pay half. This is... We conclude the first chapter Mitch Mitzhashem tomorrow. We're going to start the second chapter. Everyone have a wonderful day.